Well, all right. Welcome to the After Hour Sessions podcast. I'm D Rock, and I'm joined by my co-host, the one and only Hans Vanderkill. Hans, how are you? Doing pretty good. How you doing, D Rock? Doing great. Doing great. I'm excited as always to talk with you, and I'm excited to to do this episode. Yeah, very excited for this episode as well, and kind of it's kind of nice to be doing it a little earlier in the day. I think we've done it like usually in the afternoon, so this is. This is feeling a little more like drive time, 11 a.m. So yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's nice getting, you know, waking up early, getting a, a little bite to eat, and then hopping on doing a podcast. It's a good way to yeah, start the day. You feel you feel productive, and then you have more time in the afternoon to be like, ah, I got I got something accomplished, and I can now sort of, uh, well, I guess in my case, hopefully, be keeping productive. Because it just seems like things pile up these days, but um, yeah, that's good. It's definitely yeah. good to start earlier. So, and I think, been, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think this year. I mean, it's always important. Um, I've realized the past more than ever the past like couple of years to really count your small small victories, but I think uh, more than ever. It's important, it's important this year this to year count these small victories. Absolutely agree with you there. It's definitely better to, uh, you know, take pride in, like, the stuff you get accomplished in the day and not get too hung up on uh, the stuff that, you know, gets pushed off till tomorrow. So, so Dr. Tuckman, are you there? I am. I All am right. Finally. Yes. There yes. we go. <laughs> no, sorry about that had some technical you know adjustments here this is the you know podcasting during the age of covid but we uh i we called an audible yes yes (laughs) and uh (laughs) i know for me on a personal and professional note i am super excited to have our special guest today with us hans uh because i instantly you know as someone who found out six years ago at the age of 25 that I i have adhd um, it's been really important for me to learn, you know, not just the, a lot of times it's the, the stereotype that, oh, it's just that kid who can't sit still, but there's, yeah. you know, so much more to it and being in a support group and, you know, finding out there's this book on ADHD called ADHD after dark and, you know, better sex life, better relationship. And I bought it instantly and, it's great to have the author of that book, the one and only Dr. Ari Tuckman with us. So, Dr. Tuckman, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, welcome. It is more than a pleasure to be here. Happy to do it. Well, we're excited to have you. And I guess I, I wanted to start off, I you know, definitely getting into everything with ADHD and relationships and, and sex. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I listened to you on ADHD Rewired about a year ago and hearing that you're a big punk rock fan. Yeah. Which is really cool. I, I'll be honest. It's really, oh, it's nice. really awesome. And I, I wanted to see just which, which, uh, which bands would you say are your, your favorite punk rock bands of all time? Oh man, there's so many good ones. I think certainly Rancid is up there. Nice. Um, Dropkick Murphys, Dave House, um, and the Loved Ones. Um, 
I don't know. Bunch bouncing souls, definitely bouncing souls. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's just so much good stuff out there. I had a bunch of shows, you know, tickets in hand, ready to go. And then COVID hit and all those concerts went out the window. So um, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll all come back around next time. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. One of the dropkick yeah. murphers actually, he, uh, he grew up from me up the street. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I think he's the one who plays the the banjo and and sh- shipping out to Boston. Uh, his name's Mark Morrow, right. and I just you know remember him from you know very early days being like one of the neighbors neighbor kids up the street, and he kind of like started playing guitar. Um, I think when we were in kind of like late grade school, and um, you know, and it was just it was just funny to kind of like see him later, you know, ascend to that and. It was uh, always kind of like a, a fun little thing. It's like, ah, you know, he, I knew him growing up, you know, growing up down the street. So that's a nice. lot of fun. So they're great, though. Oh, man, I just I, I really enjoy their music. I, I blasted uh, shipping up to Boston, I think, for like three days straight once when I found out I was going to move <laughs> up there for a little while. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But- no, it's good stuff. No, it's really interesting. and It's really cool. And um I, I've kind of always, I just found that interesting because liking, you know, being a big fan of, of all music and the history and, and then during COVID, you know, we all were quarantined, finding that four part documentary series on, on epics about, you know, the history of punk and one of the best things I've seen this year. And it was really cool. And, you know, seeing from how they gave props to the, you know, Iggy and the Stooges to then of course the Ramones and the whole CBGB's, uh, Mm-hmm. run in the 70s it was just really fascinating so i thought oh really cool like and i think it's cool that when we you know we talk about kink and fetish and session wrestling on here but to show everyone that like everybody else there's a we all have variety and we all like different things and you can't put anyone in a box punk in uh, yeah. in particular seems kind of hey you know we're gonna like you know, this may be the norm, but we're going to like step out of that box. I feel like a lot of people who are into punk also kind of like end up stepping out of the box and other facets of, of their, of their life too. So I don't know. Have you, have you guys uh, found that like being into punk is kind of like sort of a gateway drug for, uh, you know, <laughs> being nonconformative? <laughs> yeah, I think there's, I think there's something to that. You know, I mean, that that is the whole message of punk rock, whether it's really kind of, you know, shredding hardcore or even stuff like Frank Turner, who's phenomenal and very punk in his attitude, but not at all that punk in his, you know, in the, I don't know, let's say volume. Um, but yeah, there is something about kind of questioning the status quo and wanting things different or better or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely something to that. No, so Dr. Tuckman, I, I guess I, I wanted to ask you, you know, just where did it start with your wanting to do research first with, uh, with ADHD? How did that really come about for you in mm-hmm. your, in your career? Yeah, so I've been, I'm a psychologist. I've been in practice for like 20 years now or something. So when I came out of school in the late nineties and was trying to find my place in the world, I sort of like the honest answer is I really just sort of stumbled into adult ADHD, you know, cause like you're kind of looking for your place in the world as a new clinician. Um, 
and it was a great fit. Like I really like working with adults, but also like families and kids and teens with ADHD. Um, and, you know, for a long time, that's what I did. Like, that's who I saw in my office and I ran a support group and I wrote and I presented and just sort of immersed myself in it. And then like, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, I became more and more interested in sort of the relationship side and specifically, you know, how it plays out in a couple's sex life. Um, and, you know, since obviously relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction overlap quite a bit. So, you know, if you want to be happy in your relationship, you can't ignore your sex life. And if you want to be happy in your sex life, you can't ignore your relationship. So, um, you know, so I just sort of became more and more interested in that piece of it, which then ultimately led me to do the research that I did a few years ago and then write the book ADHD After Dark that sort of talks about couples where one partner has ADHD and one partner doesn't. And uh, I don't know, lots of interesting stuff that came out of that research. Yeah, like a lot of, uh, so it's a lot of communication. I found interesting um, when I kind of like listened to some of your interviews. So people with AD kinky side, would you say that is a correlation or? Yeah, you know, so there's a bunch of stuff that came out of the research that I sort of would have predicted and wasn't surprised by. And then there was stuff that came out that I didn't predict, but in hindsight, you could sort of see it. And one of the things that came out was, you know, when I asked people to self-rate, how kinky are you? And I didn't define terms or whatever, but the folks with ADHD tended to rate themselves as kinkier than the people without ADHD which is really interesting. And I've got some theories for, for why that might be. Um, so, you know, I think, that, I think that there's an intensity to it. You know, not that there's anything wrong with like straight up, you know, missionary position sex at home with your partner with the lights off kind of thing, you know, but for those who are seeking something a little bit more intense, a little more varied, a little bit more novel, um, you know, which is often the case for folks with ADHD that they get bored of the usual. I think that, you know, leaning into the kinky stuff is sort of the thing that makes the difference for them. Yeah. I remember kind of like growing up to, uh, you know, in, in grade school, like, like sex education doesn't really teach you much in, in my, my view. It kind yeah. of like, it teaches you kind of like what the quote unquote, the, the normal practices and you uh, at least I kind of like grew up kind of thinking like, oh, like all this like kinky stuff that's like deviant in some way. But you come to notice later that that's a not true. And B, you're kind of like kind of like closing yourself off to a lot of different experiences. And and kind of when you do that, too, you kind of like hurt your relationships, I, I would feel like so. Yeah, well, it's sort of, you know, Robin Williams had this awesome line like. 20 years ago or 15 years ago that I still use, which is, um, you know, I don't know why everyone's so fired up about same sex marriage. Cause like anyone who's been married for a while knows it's all the same sex anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> which is an awesome joke that, you know, as many jokes has kind of like a sad truth within right. in the sense that, you know, if you've been married a while, it's easy to fall into kind of a rut of the same sex. And on the one hand, 
that's fine if it works. Like if you're happy, if you're enjoying it, if it's a, you know, kind of a late Tuesday, you know, like you're not expecting, you know, the full production, whatever. But, but I don't know, it shouldn't necessarily be the whole thing or the only thing that's on the menu. So, you know, having some variety, moving things along as other parts of your life and relationship evolve. Um, yeah, maybe that's kind of a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to take a look at. Now, did you find, um, and maybe I'm not sure if you ran sort of like this comparison, but on the cases where one person was like, you know, really high on the scale of kinky and their partner was like, actually like the opposite end of the spectrum, were they kind of like, I, I would, I would think like people would be less happy, but maybe they can still communicate and work that out. But did you find like a correlation of like general satisfaction with how close people were on the kinky scale, either one end or the other. Right. You know what? I don't, I don't remember specifically how that played out and I could certainly kind of, you know, take a look at the data and figure it out. But, but what I can say more generally is anytime there's a big desire discrepancy within a couple, whether that means how often we do have sex or whatever, or what it is that we do, um, the bigger the difference, the harder it is to negotiate something that both people are happy with. So if one person is really kink and the other one isn't, or even maybe they're both kinky, but into totally different stuff, right? If there's not enough overlap, that's going to be an issue. Um, you know, we certainly don't get everything that we want in a partner. Like there's always going to be some ways that we disappoint each other. And part of being in a relationship involves finding the right balance between pushing for what's important to you. Like here's the thing that's really important to me being sexually satisfied, for example, while also recognizing maybe this is a thing that I just need to let go. Like I would, I'm really into this thing. It really turns me on, but I know with this partner, it ain't going to happen, but there's enough other good stuff that I'm willing to kind of let that go. Um, and that's a part of relationships in, in all ways, you know, like, the movies I watch with my wife are different than the movies I would watch if I was single, you know? Right. Like I don't care that much about it. So whatever, you know, in that regard, but then there's other stuff that I do care more about. So like, you know, this is our balance in relationships. What do we push to change versus what do we focus on accepting as is? Mm, that's very interesting. Now I know for me, uh, doing a lot of research on with ADHD and a lot of topics you know, like, for example, seeing how everyone can experience burnout in, in, you know, like their jobs, but burnout for someone who is neurotypical is different than burnout for someone who has ADHD. And so wondering, you know, like you said earlier, uh, communication is so important for healthy sex life. But is uh -huh. that communication different for someone who's maybe neurotypical compared to someone who is ADHD or is it pretty much similar? Um, I mean, the basics are the same, but maybe how it gets done is a little different. So, so yeah, I mean, burnout and just general stress is that's always going to have a potential to sort of sap your sex life. You know, like you have a bit less energy, a bit, a bit less drive just because you're getting through just the day by day. Um, Folks with ADHD often, especially if they're not, you know, appropriately treated, 
you know, will tend to have to work harder just to get the, the basic stuff of life done and therefore may have a bit less left in the tank for their partner, for the relationship in general, for sex in particular. Um, so, you know, that ability to kind of work well and to not give everything you got to everything else in your life. And I've certainly had partners complain of that. Um, you know, I think that that's really important. So sometimes improving your sex life begins with changing how things go at work, you know, so that you got a bit left for your partner. Um, but communication, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is true for all of us, you know, but more so true for some people kind of thing. So, um, but I think the communication is really about, you know, how do we, speak clearly and assertively for the things that are important to us while also listening kind of respectfully to what our partner wants and then negotiating the difference. I mean, it gets hard with sex because it feels so personal and vulnerable and it's easy for people to be kind of judgy or whatever about it. Um, particularly if you're talking kinky stuff that goes beyond the normal, you know, like this is what sex is supposed to be kind of 1950s approach, you know? So like, that's where it gets hard is that if partners are already stressed and sniping at each other, you can't then have those vulnerable conversations. Yeah. I know uh, in some of my earlier relationships, it, it was, it would definitely be something I would sort of like keep in my back pocket for a while. And then it'd be like, mm-hmm. well, when, when do you bring it up? And then later on in life, I got to the point where it's like, you know, I think I'm actually almost going to lead off with this because I know this is something that's, sort of important to me and and something that I know I I kind of can't change it about myself like I kind of like Uh thought and tried at one point I was like no this is this is something that's kind of ingrained in me so I better like open this communication at an early stage but um yeah I wish I knew that but I think sooner (laughs) right yeah well this is the stuff you only know it by doing right but right but I think that that's wise like if this is going to be a deal breaker for you or the other person it probably is better to get it out up front. And frankly, it's a little bit of a litmus test. Like if you put this out there and somebody freaks out, that is a bad sign, right? right. Like you, were, you were setting yourself up for failure in that relationship. So I wish you the best of luck. I think our paths need to, you know, separate at this point. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's interesting because, um, how this podcast started is that Hans and I share, you know, um, interest and a passion in the, in the same kink, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. with session wrestling. And I, I can speak for myself. And that's a question when I've told close friends or, you know, my, my own brother, they wonder, well, you know, how will that incorporate with whoever you're, you're dating? And, mm-hmm. and, and it's always to me, it's like, well, you know, obviously i if they I'll stop going on sessions, but I want to incorporate that into my relationship. But I've always kind of, I never told anyone, but deep down I'm like, well, when do I bring that up? Like, I don't want to do it on, you know, we first time we get coffee and say, well, this is my kink, but <laughs> you, you know, you don't want to wait too long either. So Just sort very, of a shoehorn yeah. it in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so exactly. I've kind of always deep down, like wondered, like, when is that right time? I do agree. It, it is, it's it's important to, to get that out early then, you know, you're three years into it and you're looking at, you know, oh. rings and then it's like, sure. this doesn't happen or, you know, but just kind of finding that right balance with it. 
Yeah. And the thing of it is, you know, like I've got a presentation I do called to tell or not to tell. And I've had these conversations with clients about, you know, like, do you disclose ADHD or not? And I mean, the, the difference is with ADHD, especially if it's not really well managed, is even if you don't come out and say it, the other person will begin to kind of pick it up about you. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of like, we bring ourselves to what we do and maybe in the beginning of a relationship, everything's exciting and easy. So let's say you're always on time for dates in the beginning, but gradually over time, you know, you start to run late. So, um, you know, so ADHD will tend to kind of trickle out. I think a sexual interest doesn't necessarily trickle out, like unless, you know, your browser history gets discovered or something. So, you know, so I think that it then becomes this thing of like, you know, are you going to be true to yourself and say, this is who I am, this is important to me. And either it's a thing you just want your partner to know and understand it about you, or it's a thing where you actually want to do something with it. Can you then be honest about that? And if your partner can't handle it, that may not be a good sign for other things that would come up in the relationship. And that can be a nightmare scenario too, because I've, you know, there's forums kind of like dedicated to this stuff. And I've, I've read posts from some people, like some people are very open about it. Uh, They're married, Mm -hmm. their wives know about it and they, you know, not only support it, they participate uh, as well, even though they're not necessarily into it. And then I've read the opposite of where, you know, you know, they're, they've been married for years and like, it's still a deep, dark secret. And, you know, they, it, they'd be terrified if anyone found out. And I always just sort of think like, you know, it's can't be fun to kind of like have something that, you know, that is just sort of like part of you that you have to hide like yeah. that. Something that's like some, something that you maybe you can or can't help, um, you know, on, on certain levels, but like to hide anything about yourself is, is kind of like yeah. sort of a painful thing. I feel like so. Well, it is. And this is so, you know, whether it's a particular sexual interest, whether it's ADHD, whether it's whatever, you know, like we all have those things about ourselves that feel particularly kind of sensitive and vulnerable. Right. right. And But this is where this is where intimacy comes in. So between partners, do you really want to know your partner? Do you really want to share who you are? which Mm -hmm. will probably, by which I mean definitely, involve some discomfort. Like there's a certain amount of like, ha, I wish I didn't know that about you. Please take that back, but but I can't now not know it, right? So, you know, that can be a really hard thing, just as it can be a hard thing to put this out and have your partner freak out and get judgy about it, right? So like, but that is intimacy, right? Intimacy is not let's talk about how we both love pizza. Right. Right. And that's the extent of our intimacy. Right. Like, so what? Like that's, that's safe and easy. And there's this balance between comfort and really knowing each other. And sometimes people have a bit of a don't ask, don't tell, and and maybe that's okay. Like you do whatever. I just don't want to hear about it or see it. Fine. If that works. Um, but you can't have an intimate relationship without challenging yourself in the process and sometimes challenging your partner too. Kind of yeah. like signing up for those uncomfortable conversations that you keep putting off. It's just like, ah, you know, like maybe next week, uh, maybe the week after, but like 
eventually it's something you kind of got to do if you will, if, if you really want it to kind of like move forward and, and be the best it can be, I, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, like if you hide parts of yourself, it potentially comes at a price in terms of how you feel about yourself and how your partner knows you and how the two of you guys interact. So I'm certainly not saying that you should put this up as your Facebook status, you know, uh, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> right. <Anyway. laughs> and you know what? There is like, if you're just like, fuck it, here it is. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, fine. As long as you know that as long as you do it in a smart way, where you're like, I understand I'm going to get flack for this, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm taking a political stand. This is who I am. Um, but when it comes to relationships, you know, like it runs the risk of damaging the relationship if your partner can't handle it. Right. So, you know, it can be a real challenge and there's no easy answers to it. Um, but I don't know, like nobody ever said relationships are easy. Like this is what it is. Right. Now, let me ask you, uh, like we've been talking about dating is, it's exciting. It can be exciting, but it's nerve wracking and scary for everyone. But over Uh your time working with patients, either who know, you know, they're diagnosed with ADHD or maybe they're undiagnosed at the time. Are they, what you say, maybe more gun shy or nervous about going in a dating world than a neurotypical person? Um, you know, it sort of depends. I mean, you know, on the one hand, folks with ADHD have the same desires to date like everybody else. But, you know, certainly they can. I mean, you know, hell, we've all had bad dating experiences. But, you know, the challenge for folks with ADHD is, is, is the consistent follow through. And if you've had too many bad relationships or where it's sort of like, here we go again, I'm the bad guy, you know. I'm the one disappointing you. I'm the one not following through. You're always mad at me. Like, you know, that I could definitely understand that that leads someone to be kind of hesitant about putting themselves out there again. Um, You know, on the flip side of it, in the couples I see with one ADHD partner, then the non-ADHD partner also is struggling because they feel like, um, you know, I can't count on you. You don't do the stuff that you said. I got to be the one to make sure things get done. This is especially true once you get like mortgages and kids, you know, there's more to take care of. Um, So they feel more and more burned out, stressed, resentful, angry, critical, controlling, sort of like how this isn't who I am. Why am I this anger control freak? Um, Partner with ADHD feels more and more like they can't get it right. So what's the point? Um, and it's just like, it's a tough place for that couple to be. Um, the good news is if they can both understand the ADHD, if it gets finally diagnosed and maybe treated with a bit of the right medication, a lot of stuff can get easier. And then they just have the normal challenges of every relationship. Oh, something else I, I heard you mention regarding um, medication um, in regards to um, whether or not it has a positive or negative effect on um, satisfaction in a sexual relationship, um, which I thought was, which I thought was interesting, was that it, that for the most part, it doesn't really have an effect, and you said you would have bet otherwise. Yeah. So this was an interesting thing. So overall, in terms of like managing the symptoms of ADHD, the folks in the survey I did found medication to be the most helpful thing. 
which is absolutely supported by the research. When it comes to managing your life better, stimulant medication, extended release stimulants are by far the most effective. They work generally quite well and are low risk and well tolerated. So overall, your life will be better if you're on medication. Um, having said that, when it comes to you know, having medication in your system during a sexual encounter, I would have, I would have bet money that if someone has ADHD and their medication is working at the time they're fooling around with their partner, that things are going to go better. They'll be a bit more attentive, a little bit more delay of gratification. They'll be able to kind of tune into their partner a little bit more, and it would just become a better experience. And the data from the survey was absolutely clear that for most people, the answer is nope, doesn't do anything. It's not bad, but it's not helpful either. So for most, most people, it really doesn't do much of anything, which I think speaks to the fact that the sexual encounter is probably interesting enough that the person with ADHD does just fine. Um, having said that, there are there's a small percentage of people who do find that they feel they've less sort of physical sensitivity if medication's on board. So obviously if that's the case and try to do things when the medication isn't active. And there are some folks, a little bit more women than men who are too distracted even during a sexual encounter. And in that case, actually having a little medication on board enables them to focus more on what's going on in the moment and not be so preoccupied by these other distracting thoughts inside their head. So, so as with everything, you got to do what works for you. But overall, at the level of group averages, cannot recommend, you know, medication or fooling around when the medication is active, because for most people, it doesn't matter. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I, you know, from reading, you know, your book, uh, what really jumped out to me was, you know, I like how you broke it down with gender, where you have non-ADHD men, ADHD men, non-ADHD women, ADHD women. And I guess what really jumped out to me was seeing the discrepancies with ADHD women and non-ADHD women. And was that surprising for mm -hmm. you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of the analysis, I, I had to separate out gender. Like, I can't just lump in a bunch of men and women with ADHD, a bunch of men and women without, and then compare. Because gender had at least as big an effect, and in most cases, a bigger effect than ADHD status did. Um, but it was really interesting to see the differences be that ADHD, you know, had. And... It was a bit, you know, in some ways, the differences were a little bit more pronounced between the women with ADHD and the women without compared to the men with and men without. Um, but I think the bigger impact is in how the dynamic plays out within, a, in this case, a straight couple. So a woman with ADHD partnered up with a guy with, without ADHD is a little bit more similar to each other in terms of sexual interest and eagerness. In a woman without ADHD paired up with a guy who has ADHD, they are more different from each other. And therefore those folks have a bit more struggle. Kind of like we said before, you know, the bigger the difference between you, the bigger bridge you got to negotiate. So, um, so it's, so yeah, so it does matter when the woman has ADHD, the couple does a little bit better compared to when the guy has ADHD. Fast. I was going to, I was my, I was going to ask you is that the couples that you mostly deal with when it's a straight couple, is it mostly you'll mm -hmm. see a, a man with ADHD and a woman without it? 
typically, I get a lot more of that showing up in my office. And generally, if the guy has ADHD, it's more likely that the woman is involved in the treatment and we're doing some couples work. When the woman has ADHD, I hate to say this, very rarely is a guy showing up, you know, like that's just sort of the way we're socialized, that women are much more the kind of caretaker and coordinator of the couple and the family. So she's, you know, she would call me up, set up the appointment, come in with her husband or boyfriend. When the woman has ADHD, the dude's not calling me up, you know, it's kind of mm. like, honey, you take care of that. Let me know. So, mm. you know, so there is that kind of socialization aspect of it as well. Well, and I guess this might be hard to answer, but it is a big part of that why you see it such a conflict with ADHD men and non-ADHD women. How much of that is our, the gender norms that society has out there as compared to the other way around? Like, is that, why you, yeah. is that a big reason why you think it's kind of harder for ADHD men than ADHD women when it comes to that? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely nature and nurture, you know, so some of it is how does ADHD impact the individual, but it's also like the expectations that we have for each other. And I think it's that, you know, when the man has ADHD and as a result, he's less effective and efficient at taking care of, you know, stuff around the house and taking care of the kids and paying the bills and whatever, the woman is more likely to pick up the slack. So there's already a gender imbalance in terms of housework expectations um, and childcare expectations and ADHD in the guy just makes that worse. So she'll pick up the slack, but be more tired and more resentful and less kind of sexually generous as a result. Um, when the woman has ADHD, the guy will pick up some of that slack probably, but also she's going to kill herself to get it done. You know, so she's going to, work harder to get it done rather and hold that expectation onto herself rather than sliding it over to her male partner and saying, I need you to take care of this for me. So, um, so the woman so, takes, tends to take the, the brunt of the effect in, in either case. It yeah. sounds like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Mm. I, I also wanted to ask you, um, not sure, but you know, with rejection, sensitive dysphoria, and mm-hmm. and how much of that is a factor it makes it even harder for someone with ADHD when it comes to uh having you know achieving a better sex life with a partner yeah yeah so that's that's a really good question so you know the thing about you know we're talking before about kind of intimacy and disclosure and being honest and direct and asking for what we want, whether it's sexually or I just need you to pitch in more on the dishwasher. I can't always be the one to do it. Um, If your partner has this strong negative reaction, you know, which is kind of what rejection sense of dysphoria involves, right? Like one bad reaction can, if it's bad enough, cast pretty long shadows. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if you kind of lose it and act like a jerk tonight, it could be three days before your partner wants to touch you. Um, Hmm. And for the person with ADHD who too often in too many places in their life feels like they're kind of letting people down or they're the one who screwed up or people think they screwed up or they're disappointed, you know, like it's, it's easy to be kind of reactive to that. Like I totally get it, but 
but it just kind of makes a bad situation worse. And it can create a situation where their partner then feels like they can't bring stuff up if your reaction is going to be too big. And they don't, so they don't bring it up, but it festers and lingers. And then that absolutely affects their sex life and other parts of the relationship. So, so it's a tough place for both people to be. I'm curious, actually, do you get a lot of um, clients or were there people in a survey who are polyamorous? Uh, and I ask because like, it seems like, like communication is like the thing that's kind of the remedy for, for all of this. And the stronger you are in that, you know, the kind of like the better off you are and kind of like navigating the waters and just kind of like mm-hmm. knowing that community a little bit and how, you know, when you said like being open and honest about what expectations and kind of like what, what you want versus, you know, um, they're already quite strong on a, on a communication front. So I, I wondered if um, mm-hmm. they, when they're affected by this problem where one person has ADHD and one person doesn't, um, is it less extreme or do you, do you find any difference? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that, so that's a really good question. So what I found, I found a number of things, actually. One of them was that folks with ADHD were more likely than their non-ADHD partners to have infidelities, whether it's primarily physical like hookups or whether it's emotional. Now that's not polyamorous because polyamorous right. is consensual. Infidelity is non-consensual, right? So, right. but um, also folks with ADHD compared to non said that they were, that they would be more interested in some sort of consensual non-monogamy if their partner was interested in it. So again, there's a desire there. Um, But then there's the question of there's desiring is one thing, but being able to do it well is another, right? And this is where communication and intimacy and disclosure and honesty and being able to be honest and tolerate honesty, like that's, that's the key to doing any not consensual non-monogamy well. Um, the folks, I think it was the women with ADHD, it was only true for the women, not the men. Women with ADHD had a higher history of either in this relationship or some prior relationship of having engaged in some sort of consensual non-monogamy. So, so yeah, I mean, there does seem like there is more of that interest and at least for the women, they've been more likely to act on it. Now, I think often in terms of non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous activities, often in straight couples, the woman tends to be more the gatekeeper. Typically, yeah. I, you know, I tend to if the woman that. says, yeah. Yeah, like if the woman says, yeah, that's cool, I think we could try that, then the couple will go forth. Um, and, you know, whereas if it says, uh, no, I don't think I can go there, then they won't. Um, that I think that, you know, men tend to have a bit of a higher desire for that, at least initially. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that, you know, for the folks with ADHD, it's just that kind of desire. It's like the kinkiness thing. It's the desire for novelty, for variety, for something that is a little bit, that gives a little bit more of a charge in the moment. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. Now, I guess I kind of want to, and I, and I, that's why I had asked earlier, but maybe I, I want to hear what you feel because talking about like rejection, sensitive dysphoria, like I think a lot of like neurotypical people, you know, if you bring something up, that's maybe kind of vulnerable and someone who you care about and they care about you give a negative reaction. It, it can, 
it can send anyone kind of into a, a bad mood or, you know, a, a low place. But what sure. makes it different with someone like who has ADHD? Right, right. So, you know, part of, you know, so rejection sensitive dysphoria is um, having this really strong emotional reaction to some sort of real or perceived rejection. And, you know, we all react, like none of us react well to rejection, right? We all don't like it. Um, the difference is for folks with ADHD, more so than folks without, is that they really, really feel that rejection. It's sort of like it takes over more. And, you know, part of ADHD is not just like distractibility in math class. And it's not just for, you know, I don't know, impulsively saying a dumb joke that kind of is the wrong audience for or whatever. But but it's also that their emotions sort of, folks with ADHD feel their emotions a little bit more. And they they have a little bit of a harder time kind of putting things in breaks and holding and saying like, mm, don't, don't do this thing right now. Sometimes that'll get you into trouble. So like folks with ADHD are more likely to challenge a boss at work and get fired as a result of it. Everybody else thinks the boss is being a jerk. Also, the difference is everybody else remembers it's nice to get a paycheck on Friday, so they don't say it. Person with ADHD says it and then, oh, crap, shouldn't have said that. Um, so that's the bad news is folks with ADHD can get themselves into trouble with their emotional reactions. The good news of it is folks with ADHD can be a hell of a lot of fun to hang around, right? They're not boring often. So, um, you know, so like that's the sort of good side of it. And I think the challenge for the individual or the couple is to find the ways to enjoy the good parts while learning a little bit of ability to sort of pause and not put it out there. Or if you do react badly, as soon as you realize it, like, ah, crap. Calm yourself to, down, slow yourself down, come on back and fix it. Yeah, to kind of like recognize it and like step back and. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're all going to screw up sometimes, like we all will, but hopefully you're able to sort of get it back, get your head back on, and then come back and fix it. And I think that if you're someone who tends to put your foot in your mouth or someone who tends to have strong reactions to things, you got to be really good at coming back afterwards and fixing it because that, that'll rescue the relationship and it's the ignoring it or the being defensive afterwards. That's going to do more damage. Yeah. Like right. you gotta have like, you gotta, you gotta have like a uh, give and take, you know, you gotta be able to yeah. kind of like, um, not, not just be like, Hey, well, that's the way I am. And that's the way I am. If you don't like it, then leave it. Then, uh, you know, yep. Someone will leave it eventually. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that's going to be true for anything, any way of being in a relationship. That's not just an ADHD thing. So, you know, like everything we're saying about folks with ADHD, it's it's not new and different. It's the same stuff. It's just like a little bit more. You know what I mean? So, like, which really kind of comes back to the you know the kinky stuff. Same deal. Like, it's the same stuff. It's just a little bit more in the sense that happy couples find a way to be honest about what they want and need, to tolerate what their partner wants and needs, and then to negotiate the differences respectfully. 
you know, so whether it's like crazy kinky stuff that you're into or totally distracted ADHD stuff or whatever, you know, it's all about finding ways to kind of be true to yourself and true to your partner. Well, Dr. Tuckman, um, we really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us on this topic that on a personal note really hits close and home to me. And I think it's, I'm glad you're doing your, your research and your work because I think it needs to, for those who have ADHD and those who don't, it's good to, to see and get out there for people to learn more and be educated, you know, in, in this topic. So I, you know, want to tell you, thank you so much for coming on and all you do and, and we really appreciate it. Well, it, it was a pleasure. I'm super psyched that we could do this. And I'm just going to have to tell my buddy Eric Tibbers from ADHD Rewired that uh, my being on his podcast, you know, brought me here. So, uh, you know, that's always a good thing when things lead to other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just want to plug. So for everyone listening, it's it's an awesome book. It's by Ari Tuckman, ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. Um, so thank you so much for joining us and look to talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you.